when we initially set out to start this church uh, just under three years ago, um, we didn't dream about creating a gathering on Sunday mornings for uh, the masses to come to, and uh, our goal didn't stop with Sunday morning. We've always had a desire for people to get connected and to grow in their faith and to strengthen and encourage one another and to care for one another. And so this uh, semester of Synergy Groups is getting ready to kick off in a couple of weeks, and I want to encourage you just as your pastor not to let Sunday morning be the end of your experience with church, not to allow Sunday morning to be the extent of your walk with the body of Christ, especially if you call yourself a follower of Christ. And so I want to encourage you to stop by the connection tent on your way out this morning and uh, get some information about Synergy Groups that we're offering, or you can always go to synergychurch.cc forward slash groups, and you can see a list of our groups online, and you can actually register and sign up online for those groups, and we'll get you information to uh, help you get connected in those groups. Will you do that for me? Yes, three of you are like, yes. Will you do that for me? I know it's church, you're not supposed to lie to me, but you can lie and make me feel good. I'm about to preach here. Hey, so we're in week number three of this series called No-No Parenting, and we know that we've heard no-no as children. If you're a parent, you've said no-no, and rightfully so. It's, it's protecting, it's teaching children things that they're not supposed to do. But this series is about pointing the finger back at us parents and saying there are some mistakes that we can make that are detrimental to the lives of the young ones that we're raising and uh, prohibits them from being as successful as they can be when they enter into the real world, so to speak. Uh, And so I want to review with this real quick before we jump into today's topic. The first um, no-no that we said was uh, that preparing the path for your child rather than preparing your child for the path is a no-no. Preparing the path for your child rather than preparing your child for the path is a no-no. And so we talked about the importance of not clearing things out of the path of our kids, trying to make life easy and more enjoyable for them because they're going to enter the real world and no one's going to do that for them anymore. And so we need to teach them to be prepared for the path that lays ahead of them. And last week, uh, we talked about lying about your child's potential rather than developing their true potential is a no-no. We all love our kids, and we all think our kids are the best kids in the world, but sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we can lie to our kids about their potential and cause them to dream dreams based on those lies, thinking that they're better at some things than they really are, and it prohibits them from being successful as they can be when they enter the real world. We want our kids to dream dreams based on the purpose that God's put in their life, and sometimes that means having difficult conversations with them about the reality of the world that they live in. Now, before I jump into today's topic, um, I want to throw my wife under the bus a little bit here. Um, If you were here last week, I threw myself under the bus and admitted a huge mistake that uh, I made that potentially could have cost my child his life, but thank the Lord it didn't. Uh, Today, you're going to see that my wife makes less dramatic mistakes than I do, but I didn't want her to get out of this series um, clean and free. Um, Our oldest will be five in November, and he just started pre-K at the elementary school here in town. And so it's been a big deal in our house. He's going off to school. He wants to ride the bus, but we won't let him yet, or she won't let him yet. And, um, you know, it's just been kind of the talk of the last week and a half or so at our house. Uh, Well, every day when our son Landon comes home from school, he's got his book bag, and there's a folder inside that his teacher leaves material for us, things that we should know, uh, but also assignments that he has Um, in regards to things that he needs to bring to class or do before he comes to class. Uh, And so two two things that 
that my wife uh, probably wouldn't want me to share with you today, but I'm going to because I'm up here and she's not. Uh, Number one, in this folder, uh, we were told as parents that we were to send a baby picture of Landon to his class. Okay, so we're to send a baby picture of his class. They're going to, I don't know, put them on the wall, show everybody their baby pictures. I don't know exactly what they're doing with them. And so Lindsay waits until the morning that this is due to find the picture. And as she scours through the house, because we have packed some stuff up, we've moved within the last year or so, she cannot find a baby picture of Landon. And she's telling me, she's like, I'm looking everywhere. I can't find a picture of Landon. The only one that she could find was in a frame, and it was like stuck to the glass. And as she tried to pull it off, it was like tearing the picture. And so she was, she was like, what am I going to do? But she found baby pictures of our youngest son, Cohen. <laughs> so our son, Landon, goes to school to show everyone his baby picture, which is really not even him. My wife did that. My wife did that. Please don't tell him. He'll be heartbroken. Secondly, this last Thursday, Landon comes home, and there's a reminder in this notebook of an assignment that he was given when school started on the first day that he's to read 10 books with mom or dad and write down the names of the books and then send the list back, and then they're going to have this parade at school. If he's read the 10 books, he gets to march in this parade. He gets to parade. He gets to dress up as a character in one of the books that he read, and it's kind of a big deal, apparently. So Lindsay gets this, and she texts me, and she's like, I am the worst mom. I have forgotten totally about this. And so our four-year-old son had to endure 10 books of reading in one sitting with my wife when he would much rather be doing something else. We make mistakes, right, as parents. There are things that we would go back and change, even, even as a parent to a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old. There, there are things that I would go back and change, do differently. But how tragic is it when our kids are older, they're, they're moving out of the house, and we look back and we think, we haven't made the most of the time that we have with our kids. And they're not prepared to step into their purpose in this life. They're not prepared to be successful in the real world. And this series is simply an opportunity for us to look in the mirror as parents and say, are we making some major mistakes? They're going to have some negative impacts on our kids. And admit when we are. This is one of those series, if, if we're honest with ourselves, that we hear certain things and we say, oh, I wish they were here because they need to hear this. This is exactly what they do wrong. I can't stand this about them. And so I'm asking us all not to do that in this series. Maybe it is for them, but I want us to look at ourselves in a mirror and say, am I walking in a path that's going to be making these mistakes, that's going to have a negative impact on my kids? And if so, I can change it. I can do something about it, and I can correct my behavior so that my child is better suited for the real world. So today, here's the topic that we're going to talk about. No, no, number three is projecting your life on your child rather than providing guided support for your child. Projecting your life on your child rather than providing guided support for your child. Here's another way that I would say this. Projecting your life on your child rather than modeling values for your child. This is the father at the pre-tea, at the tea ball 
at the Little League baseball field who constantly yells at his child, whose child steps into the batter's box every time just hoping that I can make dad proud because if I get a hit, he's going to be so proud of me. But if I strike out again, he's going to yell at me again. And if I make an error and the ball goes through my legs, I'm going to hear it from my dad. And, and the child is just out there on pins and needles trying not to make a mistake. This is the mom of the daughter in the pageant who is just overly involved in this pageant. This is, this is the parent who wouldn't admit it, but looks back on their life and sees things that they would change if they had it to do all over again, and they see their child as a second chance, as a third chance, as a fourth chance. And they tend to project their life on their child, wanting them not to make the mistakes that they made and trying to control who they become because they want them to reflect the life that they never lived. This is the, this is the has-been athlete, the has-been businessman, the has-been whatever, who looks at their child now and says, I still want to live that life, but I don't have the opportunity anymore. And so I'm going to live that life through my child. And so parents love sports more than their kids ever will. And they want the most for their kids to be successful, but if we're really being honest, sometimes it's easy for parents to live vicariously through their children. And it's easy to spot when, when, when there's major offenders in this area, but I think if we're all honest, we all have a tendency to project our life on our kids. I want you to think about it this way. This screen behind me has an image on it. We see that image. Uh, there is a computer that is generating an image, and there is a projector that's taking that image and throwing it onto this screen. Now, if we were to clear that screen, we would see that that is just a normal screen with nothing on it. Do you, do you see that? But if we project that image back, it now transforms what we're seeing. And here's what we tend to do as parents. We tend to see our kids as blank screens sometimes or screens that aren't as attractive or as fun or as successful as we would like for them to be. And it's so easy for us as parents, it's so easy for us just to look at that canvas and just say, I'm going to give you an image. Because what is it so easy for us to say as parents? Children's behavior, children's success, children's failures reflect upon their parents. And sometimes we're so prideful that we don't want to be embarrassed by mistakes that our kids make. Or we're so prideful that we want to be proud of our kids more than we should be. That we tend to project these images on our kids and they carry these burdens of the images that we put on them so that we feel better about ourselves. And the problem with projecting is that it's hard to project and model at the same time. It's hard for us to model authentic values and behavior that we want our kids to see in us when we're busy projecting images onto them. And it's a mistake. It's a huge mistake that we all as parents, if we're honest with ourselves, have a tendency to. This is probably the easiest mistake that we 
as parents can make. There are students in the room, and students would probably admit more so than the parents that their parents sometimes project upon them. They project their ideals. They project their values. These are, these are sometimes good. These are sometimes bad. But they also project their past, and they project their dreams, and they project their ambitions onto kids. And kids, children, teenagers, college students walk through this world sometimes on pins and needles just hoping and praying that they don't screw up mom and dad's plans for their life. Dad's had a successful business. His dad ran the business before him, and his dad ran it before him, and he knows that he's supposed to run that business when he gets older. And so he feels the pressure of that, and if he ever has any dreams that don't align with running dad's business, he tends to just stop dreaming because he knows that that's the path that's been laid out for him. This is the daughter whose mother married a successful man. And anytime she tends to lean towards a relationship with anyone who may not live up to mom and dad's standards, she just feels that weight and that pressure. And she says, I've got to find someone that they'll like, because if I find someone that they'll like, then they'll be happy and pleased with me. And it's so easy for this to be detrimental to our children's lives because They live in fear of failure and letting down mom and dad. We don't want to project on our our children's lives. When we project our lives on our kids, they often feel pressured to become something that they're not. Think about that. Think, Think about people in your life that try to tell you how to live your life and what to do in your life and how you don't like that. How you feel forced to do things on jobs or in classrooms or on teams. You feel forced to do things that you wouldn't do otherwise. And you don't like that. But we become parents and we find ourselves projecting under our kids. And modeling behavior that we don't appreciate ourselves. Here's some unintended consequences of projecting onto the lives of our kids. When we project, we fail to model healthy behavior that kids can emulate. Sometimes because we fail to project healthy behavior that our kids can emulate, we look around and we see parents who sometimes seem to be more of a kid than their children. Have you, have you ever just seen an adult with kids closely following by just throw a tantrum in a store at a register, just go nuts over something simple? Or they call the, the company that's made a mistake, and they're just going nuts and throwing a tantrum. Now, you wouldn't tell your kid that's great behavior, but sometimes we forget that we're to model behavior, and all we're focused on is projecting, and we throw the tantrums. We're yelling at kids on the field that aren't even our kids because they're making mistakes, and they might lose a Little League baseball game. We're criticizing teachers because our kids are not making good grades. And we're going to the teachers and we're saying, you know, sometimes truthfully, without saying it, I wrote that paper and it deserves a better grade. Like, how dare you give me a C? I worked hard on that for my kid. And we want our kids to be so successful that we don't emulate behavior that's healthy to them. Second unintended consequence is, consequences that we can 
creates stress in our kids, forcing them to become something that they're not. That they live under this mental strain constantly of trying to figure out who it is that you as a parent want them to be. And trying to just be that person because they just want to make mom and dad happy. And thirdly, most devastating is our relationship with our kids can become strained and unhealthy. When kids don't feel like they measure up, and when parents are disappointed in their kids, there's this isolation that begins to take place between parents and children. And the kids don't feel like they measure up, and the parents are disappointed in the kids, and they only talk when necessary, and there's not a loving, kind-hearted, genuine relationship between the two. It's almost more like a business contract or a business relationship than it is a parenting relationship. It's because we project onto the lives of our kids and we try to make them successful. And I want to I give, give you four ways that you can correct this behavior if you have a tendency to lean towards that. Um, I'll admit that I have a tendency to lean towards projecting on my kids even though they're young. Uh, we, we sit at the dinner table, it was a couple of weeks ago, and I, I looked at Landon and I said, I said, Landon, what do you want to be when you get older? You know, and he would say, you want me to be a fireman or... Uh, you know, I want, to, I want to be a construction worker, or I want to be a policeman. And I would say, okay, what else you want to be? What else you want to be? And he never said, I want to be a pastor. And so I just came out, and I said, so Landon, so you want to be a pastor when you grow older? And he said, no, 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 sir, daddy. <laughs> I said, Landon, you don't, you don't think like, you know, 20 years from now, you might want to pastor Synergy Church? Like, I could pass the church. You could become the pastor. No, daddy, I don't want to be a preacher. I don't want to do that. And I laugh about it, but like deep down, like I would love to have a story that some pastors have that they pass down their church to their kids. How incredible would that be? I would love that. But I'm already feeling the tension of like, I can't put that on him. I can't pressure him. I can't even as a young age talk to him sternly about that because I don't want him to start feeling like there's pressure on him to do something that he's not called to do or that he doesn't want to do. Does that make sense? It starts at such an early age. And so here, here are things that we can do to correct them. Number one, we can model healthy identity ourselves as parents. Some parents project on their kids because they don't really know who they are. They haven't really found their true identity. They're still living in the past mistakes or the past successes and, and the regrets and uh, they miss who they used to be. And so they haven't become secure with who they are now. And so they project on themselves. And the best way that you can stop projecting on the life of your kids is to know who you are, to have a solid, healthy identity of who you are and your purpose in this world. Secondly, we can expose rather than impose on our kids. Rather saying to your kids, like, you have to do this. This is what you have to believe. This is who you have to date. This is the type of thing that you have to do. We can expose them to those things with hopes that they'll dream dreams that we think are healthy for them. And when we begin to stop imposing things on our kids and allow them to start developing their own ideals based on our influence, we'll begin to see a healthy relationship with our kids and kids stepping into their purpose into this life. We need to communicate that our love for them is not tied to their performance. Sometimes the biggest I love yous to your kids need to come after failures. 
Okay? When they strike out, when they fail the class, when they lose the job, whatever it looks like, in moments where they would expect you to rail them because of their failure, it's important for us to show them, hey, my love for you is not based on your performance. It's not based on results of decisions that you made. I love you no matter what. And you never need to think that mom or dad is going to stop loving you because of any failure in this world. And fourthly, we need to feel free to tell our stories, but we need to make sure that they include our failures as well. You ever seen like the kid who just thinks the world of dad, and he'll tell it, my daddy's the best, like every time he goes fishing, he catches 15-pound bass. My daddy can fish better than your daddy. My daddy played college football like he was in the pros, but he decided it wasn't the best life for him, so he decided to quit. But he would still be playing right now if he wanted to because he's bad to the bone. Like, you ever met that kid? Like, my dad is awesome. Where do you think that comes from? Number one, it comes from a kid who loves and adores his dad. But number two, it comes from a kid who may not have heard some mistakes that his dad's made. We need to tell our stories. I'm not telling you you can't share your life with your kids because they might feel like you're pressuring them to do something. Share, I started this business when I was 25 years old. You know, this business has become awesome. You know, I would love for you to run this business one day, but you don't have any pressure to do that. But you need to know something. I made some huge mistakes when I started this business. And around about year two, like I had half my employees quit because I was a terrible boss. And I learned some things, and I've become a better person. And you see the perspective that they have of dad now isn't he's some perfect person. But they say, my dad is real and genuine, and I can learn to be like my dad because my dad admits his mistakes and failures, and he teaches me through those mistakes and failures rather than projecting on me ideals that he missed in his life. It's important for us not to project onto the lives of our kids Here's, here's how I want to help you see this. Okay, so we have children, and it's important for us as parents, even from an early age, to begin to build fences in their lives. Okay? Watch this. This is important. They need to know that there are things on the other side of that fence that are dangerous, okay? There are things on the other side of that fence that are just wrong. If you cross this fence, you just need to know that there is danger out there, that you could hurt yourself. You're going to find out that life isn't what you thought it is. It's a bad world out there. And we build these fences. This, now, this is necessary. I'm not telling you you shouldn't build fences. Build fences for your kids. You've got to build fences for your kids. But now, here's the important thing. Some parents have fences way out here, right? And they let their kids do things that you wouldn't let your kids do, okay? Some of this is parenting style. Some of this is preference. There's not necessarily right and wrong where it comes to building fences, but as parents, especially if you're God-fearing parents who 
love the Lord and you want to train your kids to be godly, there are some values, some, some borders that we want to create in the life of our kid. And we know that kids want to get close to the borders, right? It's important for us to reinforce. You know, we don't say those things, okay? We, we don't watch those things. If you watch those things, it's harmful to you. Okay? If you hang out with those people, I'm telling you, it's just going to be, it's going to be dangerous. It's going to be bad results. You know, if you decide to do that, you need to know that it's going to be hurtful to you. And some parents, you know, they got their, they got their kids in here. And they have such tight fences around their kids that their kids feel like, you know, I just wish I could take a couple of steps in life, but I'm just going to hang out in my little box, okay? I'm not telling you where to build defenses, but here's what I'm telling you. There comes a time in the life of your kids, there comes a time in the life of your kids where you have to tear down some fences that you've built in their life. And you've got to give them the freedom to decide for themselves what fences they're going to build in life. Because you don't want a 35-year-old calling you on the phone and saying, hey, mom, you know, should, should I make this decision? Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I should do. Like, I want to stay inside this fence because I've been in this fence my whole life. Right? You want, a, you want a grown man to be able to say, you know what? I don't think the fence should go there. I think the fence should go here. And we might have a hard time with that. But if we don't let our kids build fences for themselves at some point in their life, what do they always do? They get tired of being caged up and they just rebel. They begin tearing down your fences for you. Your kids are not going to stay in your fences for all of their lives. And you've got a couple of choices. You can, when the time's right, begin to teach them why you built the fences you built and tear down those fences in hopes that they'll build their own fences that will guard them from decisions that are harmful to them. And when they build fences in a different place from you, you can't project on them and say, oh, 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 no, no, I wouldn't put that post there. Dig back a little this way, Luba. I'm telling you, if you dig out there, you've got to just say, you know what? You're making your own decisions now. I've taught you. I gave you a fence for 18 years. I reinforced that fence. I told you the importance of that fence. But now you're grown, and I'm going to remove that fence, and I'm going to allow you to venture out and make your own decisions and discoveries in this world, but I hope that you understand the importance of fences and that at some point you'll begin to build fences that I think should be built. Do you see how that works? Do you see why it's important for your kids to remember the pillars that you taught them? They're always going to remember that. They're not going to forget. I remember my parents when I was growing up, they taught me this. And they taught me that. And the hope is that they'll, they'll build a fence somewhere near there. It may be further out. It may be closer in. But they can begin to develop their own ideals. Now, here's a couple of things that I want to leave you with, and then we'll end our time together. Three things that kids need to be successful, especially when it comes to building fences in this world, okay? Because we don't want to project on them for all their lives. We don't want to be the parents that are saying, hey, you're not making the right decisions as parents. We don't want to be the parents that are saying, hey, like you shouldn't treat your coworkers that way. We don't want to be the parents that are saying, hey, you're not treating your friends right. Okay, Our kids are grown. They're out of our homes. And the goal is that we've trained them. We've released them. Now we're there for counsel and support. 
They're going to make some bad decisions on their own, but here's three things that kids are going to need to be successful. Number one, they're going to need autonomy. They need to be able to say, I can do it on my own at my own pace. Don't tell me how to do it. Don't tell me when to do it for the rest of my life. Kids can't be successful if we project that onto them. There has to come a point where they receive that autonomy and they begin to say, you know what? I can do this on my own now. I've been taught and trained and prepared. I can be successful and I can do it at my own pace. Like get out of my ear and stop telling me I can't, I'm doing it wrong. They got to have that autonomy. Secondly, they've got to have mastery. They got to feel like they're growing and improving at something. They got to be able to own some skills, own some talents, own some things that reflect their purpose and not know that mom and dad are right there to fix anything that, that, that's messed up. Okay, they got to be able to say, you know what? I'm developing and mastering some skills in life. We've got to give them the freedom and the ability to do that. And the third thing is, is they need, uh, in order to be successful, they need to um, feel like they have a purpose in what they're doing. When we just demand things of our kids and they only do it because we demand it, they don't have any purpose in that. Might as well be robots. You know, we would love to have robots in life that we can program. They'll just be perfect, right? Program you, you're perfect. You never make any mistakes. And we don't want that, though. We want them to feel like they have purpose in doing what they're doing in this life. And so we have to release them to be free to do that. So when we build and tear down walls to teach and train our kids to be successful and prepared in their own ways. There's a couple of things to keep in mind here. And then I'm going to share a scripture, a couple of scriptures to kind of illustrate how this is best done. Um, number one, we can't be neglecting when it comes to building fences for our kids. You know, there are some parents that never build fences for their kids. They don't. They just want to be best friends. They want their kids to like them. Never want to tell them no. Want them to be happy. You can do anything you want to do in life. There's no fences, and kids get in trouble. They don't develop a moral compass. They don't have ideals on what right and wrong is completely. You don't want to do that. You want to make sure you're building fences in your kid's life, especially when they're young. But you don't want to be imposing either. Like explain why you build fences in their lives. I'm so guilty of saying my four-year-old, he just, he's in this asking question stage. Why, why, why? And I said I would never say it as a parent, but I'm saying it now. I'm like, because I said so. Just stop asking why. Just do it. It doesn't matter why. Well, it does matter why. It matters to your kids why you've built fences in their life. And they need to understand and know why that fence is there. Otherwise, when you tear the fence down like you should at some point in their life, they're not going to build it back. They're not going to develop their own boundary because they never knew why it was there. It just seemed like they were confined and trapped. It was imposed upon them. And lastly, lastly, when it comes to being a Christian parent, okay, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you want your child to reflect godly ideals in this world, building fences can be confusing for kids because there's the whole faith side of life and then there's mom and dad's rules. And if we're not careful, a, not, a 10 p.m. curfew can feel like, well, that's, that's what God wants for me. Like, that's God's ideal for me. 
Well, there's no scripture that says your kid has to be in the house by 10 p.m. We agree to that, right? My parents always told me there's nothing good to do after midnight. There's no, there's no need for you to be out after midnight. There's nothing good for you to do, only trouble. But there's nothing in Scripture that says you have to be in your home, in your room with the lights out, under the covers, at least your eyes closed, trying to go to sleep by a certain time, okay? And when we're trying to raise Christian kids, it's important for us to identify, hey, this is a mom and dad boundary. This isn't, this isn't a biblical boundary, okay? Now, I'm using some biblical knowledge and insight to help formulate this, but this isn't like a biblical boundary, and if we don't differentiate between God's boundaries and our boundaries as parents, that some things, you know, you have a freedom as an adult to, to make some different choices here. These are choices that I made as your parents. Then they'll be confused. We don't want them to be confused. We want them to know these are clearly outlined in Scripture. These are godly principles. But these are just mom and dads. We think this is best for you. We know you better than you might know yourself. And we know things that you tend to do that might get yourself into trouble. And we don't want to be confusing our kids. Here's a quick story and then a couple of scriptures. Um, this was modeled to me perfectly. Um, I, you've heard me say it before. I think I have the best parents in the world. Um, when I was a freshman in college, I attended Southern Polytechnic State University on a basketball scholarship, had dreams to be a civil engineer. I was halfway through my second semester of college as a freshman, and I had ambitions to be an engineer. I was in an engineering school where people graduated and started with a great salary, and I had my life ahead of me. I was playing basketball for a great coach, and I loved life. And in October of 1998, 99, 98, wherever it was, I was a chaperone for our student ministries fall retreat. And at this retreat, I specifically felt called into full-time ministry. I remember a guy named Craig Harvey was preaching, and he was a loud preacher that yelled at people, and I didn't hear a word that he said that night. I, I as a freshman in college, sat in my seat in the back of that room, and I wept like a baby. And I can't tell you why I was weeping. All I knew is that I felt this overwhelming sensation that God was drawing me into full-time ministry, that he wanted me to preach, that he wanted me to communicate God's Word, and I saw myself standing in front of masses of people preaching on a stage. And I just struggled with that for a couple of days. I just sat on that and I didn't really tell a lot of people. But then I remember, remember when I called my dad, it was, it was a couple of nights later. And I said, Dad, I got to talk to you about something. And he said, I know. I was like, what do you mean you know? He said, you're called into ministry, aren't you? And I was like, what? He said, yeah, I know your mom and I, we, we've known, we've, we've prayed for you that this day would come. They saw in me a calling before I saw it in myself, but what did they allow me to do? They allowed me to pursue a civil engineering education. They didn't say, listen, you can't go there because you're going to be a preacher one day. It's a waste of your time. They allowed me to venture out into my own world and have my own experiences until I came to a realization that they already knew about me that God had a calling on my life. And so I, on my own, made a decision to transfer to a Christian college. They, they didn't force me to do it. And I got an education that helped me prepare for a life in ministry. That's, that's the goal of life, is to build fences for your kids, but then remove those fences and give them the freedom to explore life. And hopefully you've modeled values for them well enough for them to build fences that are best. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to you and then we'll end our time together. John 3.16. I'm going to go ahead and put that up. It's Hallmark of Scripture. 
It says, For God so loved the world, God loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God, God the Father, loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Okay, so God had a mission for His Son. He had a plan for His Son. Now, if we fast forward 33 years after Jesus came to this earth, He's in a garden with His disciples. He's praying, and He knows that the time is coming soon, within just hours, that He's going to be arrested and mistreated and falsely accused, and He ultimately is going to be giving His life, which God the Father had a plan for Him to do from the beginning. Look at the distress that he has in Luke 22, verses 42 to 43. Listen to what he says. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. You have a plan for me, but it's overwhelming. It's just overwhelming to me right now. And if you can do anything to take this from me, please. But then he makes the statement, but not my will, but yours be done. Okay, I believe in enough in, in the purpose that you sent me for that I'm willing to surrender some of my feelings to what's best. It still seems confusing at this point, but now let's go to Matthew 26, 53 and listen to Jesus' statement. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Here's the truth. Jesus, when he came to this earth, he was sent by God. He had a mission and a purpose in coming. God loved the world enough that he sent his son. Jesus felt the anguish and the pressure of that calling. It was an intense calling. It was a huge responsibility. But he makes a statement here that lets us know that he wasn't forced to do this. God didn't say, you have to do it. God didn't say, if you don't do this, I'm disappointed in you. God didn't say, don't make me come down there. What did Jesus say? He says, do you not think I can call him my father and he would rescue me from this misery? That he would not send legions of angels to rescue me? I am the son of God. I don't have to do anything. But listen to his heart. I willingly lay down my life because I love you just like my father loved you. Do you see how a father loved his son enough to allow him to make a decision that he ultimately stood within the same calling that his father had for him. That's our goal for our kids, is that we model such love for them in life that when they stand on their own, they'll embrace the same love and they'll do exactly what God's called them to do in this life. We can't project our life on our kids, but we've got to model values and behaviors that create borders and boundaries for our kids that are healthy, that are not imposing. And there comes a point in their life where we got to start ripping away some of that fence and exposing some freedom to them in the world beyond what they've known with the hope that the values that we've modeled to them, they'll embrace for their own. Your kid isn't a Christian because you're a Christian. You can't make him be a Christian. Your kid doesn't love other people just because you love other people. And your kid isn't 
kind just because you're kind. You want them to love others, to be kind, to be generous, because they saw that in you and they chose that as a life for themselves. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you do in our lives. I thank you, Father, that we have an opportunity as parents to model for our children values that are worth living for. And as our children get older, Lord, and it's time for us to remove some of those fences from their lives and give them the freedom that they're ultimately going to get, whether we give it to them or not. Our prayer, Lord, is that they would see the behavior that we've modeled for them, and they'll embrace a life based on those values, ultimately, that are godly. That's our prayer for all of our kids. Help us not to project our life on our kids. Help our kids never to feel the pressure of pleasing mom and dad and that be the driving force in their life. But help us to teach them and train them and prepare them to find their purpose in this life and to stand in it boldly and be who you've called them to be and support them, to guide them to be the very best that they can be. And for that, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.